0: Mother's Day, so it's a great opportunity to teach on motherhood. And here's what I want you to realize as you turn to Titus 2, is motherhood has a gospel impact on your family. It has a gospel impact on this church. It has a gospel impact on our communities. And it has a gospel impact on our culture. And you're like, well, I'm just trying to get through a day. Well, getting through that day can have a gospel impact. And so I'm teaching on making sense of motherhood because sensible living is the theme of the book of Titus. So when he talks about motherhood, he's talking about that. And even though the culture today says it's Mother's Day, that was only invented a little over 110 years ago. But the reality is this. I want to teach on this, not because it's just because it's Mother's Day, that's part of it, obviously, but because the Apostle Paul told Titus to teach on this very thing here in Titus 2. In local churches that were planted on the island of Crete, that... that had a culture very much like our own. If you want to look at chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, we're not going to take time to read that. I'm just going to give you 12 characteristics of the culture of Crete. This is the culture that Paul is speaking into as he writes this letter. And it's a culture that is filled with rebellious people, empty talkers, false teachers, religious extremists, religious hucksters looking to make a buck off of people's faith, chronic liars, people who morally live like wild animals, lazy gluttons who overindulge themselves in a variety of ways, rule makers who follow man-made traditions and philosophies, people with defiled hearts through which they see everything in the world as being defiled, People who say they know God, but their lifestyles deny him. And peoples whose disobedience is detestable to God and whose works are worthless. Their their lifestyle, the efforts that they make in life are worthless in his estimation. Now, as I'm reading through that, I'm like, Paul, tell us what you really think about Crete and about the culture. But here's what you realize that that culture, which was a pre-Christian culture, is very much like our post-Christian culture. And so what I want you to see is what we're talking about is very relevant. In other words, we are teaching on making sense of motherhood today for three reasons. First of all, because it's culturally relevant, because it's Mother's Day. Okay, good time to talk to moms mothers day it's culturally relevant number 2 it's practically needed it's practically needed in our post christian culture because whether we realize it or not this probably our most of us in here our generate this is the last generation where most of this already you know makes a lot of sense we are in a culture where marriage isn't being redefined it's already been redefined We're in a culture where our kids are being taught each day you can decide what your gender identity is for this day. And your biological makeup, uh, your creator, uh, your parents, no one can tell you different. In fact, everyone needs to acquiesce to that. A culture where gender roles of male and female are so blurred, so blended as to be unrecognizable and really no way to differentiate. And it's a culture where motherhood is no longer really making sense. It just doesn't make sense in that context. Is being a wife and mother politically incorrect? Listen, we live in a culture where if you're a woman, it's okay for you to serve kids as long as they're not your kids. And we're in a culture where you can help men succeed as long as it's not your own husband. This is the culture that we It's politically incorrect. Being a mother... Uh, may seem potentially irrelevant, especially as we read through Titus 2. And I've been at this for over 25 years now. And as I keep coming back to the Bible and I keep thinking through these concepts that I've taught before, you're realizing how farther away the culture is from this. Is Titus 2 outdated and irrelevant for women in the 21st century? And then also, is, it, is being a mother, does it make you personally inadequate? Is, is just being a mom, if you choose and, and your family chooses to just be a mom, are you somehow living below your true potential as a woman or even as a human being? And as we move into an economy where increasingly you need two, maybe three incomes to make ends meet, and I know we don't need half of what we think we need, but the reality is this. You start wondering, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. I think women, uh, you know, I won't speak to you, you can tell me, I think you're overwhelmed and overwrought with all that is on your plate. But I'm here to tell you from God's word that being a mother is powerfully influential it's powerfully influential, and that is what Paul's saying here in Titus 2. According to this passage, you're powerfully influential, and you can have a gospel impact on your family, your church, our community, and your culture. Being a mom is a part Look at verse 10, chapter 2. Move to chapter 2, verse 10. Being a mom is a part of showing all good faith so that you can adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. That exalts who you are, and it raises above anything the world can tell you. Being a mother is one of the many things, according to chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, it's one of the many things that the grace of God in Jesus... Actually, the grace of God, which is Jesus, instructs us, but also empowers women to be. And that brings me to the third reason I want to teach on that, and that's because it's biblically commanded. It's biblically commanded. We don't have an option on this. This is what God wants us to do. This is where our authority comes from. So let's read this. Look at verses, uh, look at chapter 2, and let's read together. Verses 3 through 5. So follow along as I read. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. And so what is good? Verse 4. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. You see, at the end of the day, it's not cultural, it's biblical. It's not man-centered, it's God-centered. Look at how this whole passage is bracketed. It's bracketed by, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. What I just read to you. Is a part of what Paul says, but as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. What I read to you is sound doctrine, it's biblical doctrine. Then look at verse 15 he brackets this whole thing. These are the bookends of this. These things, what things? Well, at least one of them is what I just read to you about the role of mothers. These things speak and exhort and even reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Wow. That's a heavy responsibility that pastors have and church leaders have in the church. The authority to teach on motherhood this morning doesn't come from my personal experience or expertise. But you were wondering that, right? No, it's not. It's not. I don't, have any, I don't have any experience in this. I observe one. I live with one. I had one. But at the end of the day, this isn't personal experience or expertise. But do you realize we live in a day where people want to say that unless you experience something, you don't have the authority to, to speak into it? And yet, where would we be? If I, if I have to kill someone to tell you not to murder, we're in a bad way, right? And if Jesus had to sin in order to have authority to speak on sin, well, you see, if, if you have to experience this to teach with authority, then Jesus would have nothing to say about our sin. He would have nothing to say about marriage, and he would have nothing to say about parenting. Why? Because he was a single man. But also, the authority to teach on motherhood does not come from what the culture says or man-made traditions. Again, today it's common to say truth is relative, truth is personal, what you make it, truth is cultural, so what's true in America is not true in uh, Germany. What's true in Germany is not true in South America. It's typical to say even today we're getting to the point where truth is determined by race. So certain different, right, you, you, if, if, you don't, if you're not a certain ethnicity, then you can't experience this, you can't speak with authority on this, and there's a truth for our race and not for another race. But look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In verses, one, uh, chapter 1 of Titus 1 through 3, Titus says his authority has come from the risen Christ. He is a sent one with authority. And furthermore, he says in verse 4 that he's speaking to his true child in the common faith. But look at verse 1. What he is teaching here and what we're going to look at today in Titus 2 for motherhood. It's written for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of truth, which is according to godliness. Listen, what we're going to learn today doesn't make sense outside of the context of a relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? It just doesn't... If, if your desire is not... You know, godliness is a God-centered life. It's a life where you're constantly referring everything back to what, who is God? What does God say? What does God... Do? If that's not your passion today, this isn't going to make sense, all right? This is for those that God has drawn and God has led to faith in His Son And it makes sense. It makes sense of motherhood. Now, as I look back again at uh, verses 3 through 5, we see that motherhood is both taught and caught. Okay? It involves modeling, but it also involves mentoring. Okay? And so, I'm like Titus. I'm limited to only teaching the sound doctrine of motherhood this morning. But I'm hoping and I'm praying that you who are here as moms will rise up, take the responsibility, go one-on-one with a younger woman. Now, I'm not about to define older and younger today. I'm, I'm wiser than that, okay? So, the reality is, though, you're a senior mom to someone who just became a mom, all right? So, it's not a chronological age. It's, it's where you are in following Jesus. So, I hope that, ladies, you will not only take notes But you will take to heart, have an open heart, an open home, and desire to train and lead. Now, here's what we're going to do. We need to make sense of motherhood. So we're going to give, I'm going to give you four truths, four truths for you to learn that will make sense of motherhood. And so we, and by the way, as a church, this was taught, you know, Paul didn't have a women's ministry where he pulled all the women aside from the church and said, now I'm just going to talk to women because everything that has to that I teach has to relate to only those that are directly impacted by it. No, this was read in the churches. And so we're all listening in and we're all learning because I hope, and I bet every mom here hopes, that we have a church filled of men and women who pray for moms, right? Because don't we want our moms to succeed? Sure, sure we do. And so... Let's learn and let's take a look. Number one, moms, the, and the first two points are the heavy ones. Moms, learn to embrace your role from God's perspective. You'll never make sense of motherhood until you see it from God's perspective and you learn to embrace it. Now, look at the last part of verse 3. Teaching what is good. Teaching what is good. Now, that's one word in the original language there. It's one word. It's a unique word. Teaching what is good. But it refers to something that's throughout this letter. If you read this short letter of Titus, you'll find that good and works and deeds are repeated numerous times. In fact, good works or good deeds are repeated six times. And so what he's saying here is teach what is good. You say, well, what's good? Well, look at verse 4. He tells us in verse 4. What is good is being a wife and a mother. Being a wife and a mother is not just something for a national holiday. It's not just for a Hallmark holidays. You know, today's the the biggest restaurant day of the entire year. Okay, but that's not the idea here. It is a a good work. In fact, Paul teaches this again in 1 Timothy 5.10. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to break that down. When he says teaching what is good... What is good implied a good work? I want you to see from God's perspective, number one, motherhood is a hard work. It's work. It's a hard work. It's like a kid, Gwen, when she comes back from substitute teaching, how was your day? Man, you know, some days are really hard. And I said, well, that's why it's called work. It's not called vacation. It's work. It's hard. And guess what? Motherhood is work, right? It is work. Now, think about this. I like, uh, in fact, if if you Google being a mother in Google, the first thing that comes up is hard. Being a mother is hard. I like how one blogging mom put it, Of course being a mother isn't all crayon hearts and butterfly kisses. It's demanding. There are nights when the baby cries and the impetus to lift your head off the pillow is non-existent. The days can pass in a rush of drop-offs and pickups and Tupperware boxes filled with sliced fruit, blending into a parenting groundhog day. Now I like that, okay? One day after the other. It's relentless and boring at times, it's overwhelming and exhausting. You're constantly told to enjoy every minute, just about the same time you wish the minutes would speed up so you would could get back to bed. It certainly isn't a constant dance on a mountain of happiness. Now, I love this illustration. One day, a a little girl was sitting and watching her mother do dishes at the kitchen sink, and she suddenly noticed that her mom had several strands of white hair sticking out in contrast to the rest of her brunette head. And she looked at her mom, and she asked, Mommy, why are some of your hairs white? And her mom replied, Well, Every time you do something wrong and make me cry or unhappy, one of my hairs turns white. And the little girl was silent. She's thinking about it, and then she said, "Poor Grandma, you must have been very hard to raise." Okay, so that's a good one here. We got Grandma here with us, so that's that's the idea. Now, a fifteen. Now, teen, it doesn't get any easier in the teen years. Can I hear any response there? Doesn't get any easier in the teen years. A 15-year-old boy came bounding in the house and found his mother in bed. He asked if she was sick or something. He was truly concerned. And mom replied that, as a matter of fact, she didn't feel too well. And the son replied, well, don't worry a bit about dinner. I'll be happy to carry you down to the stove. Okay, so this is, you know, mom, being mom, it's just hard, all right? It's just hard. Um, Now, here's what I want you to do, and here's what I have in your notes. It's not just hard because of those things. You know, you can go on the internet, and you can Google, apparently, being a mother is hard, and you're going to find all sorts of ladies telling you from real hand, first hand experience, what's hard about being a mom. But we're looking at this from God's perspective, and so... I want you to realize that when you trace this idea of good works or works or deeds through this book, there's seven different places, and I have them there, and I'm not teaching through that. I just want you to see this is where the hard work of being a godly mother comes in. And you say, well, that's just what I need, seven more things on top of the, you know, the things that come naturally hard. Now I've got seven things from God that are hard. But here's what I want you to see. If you'll look at these seven things, and, and if you'll work hard at these seven things, it will make the mundane, everyday difficulties easier. Are you with me? You've got to work hard at the right things the things God says. So here, let's look at them, just just reading through them. I I would really challenge, I wish we could just sit and read through these seven verses. Because they speak, by the way, not just to moms and the hard work of being moms. They're really talking about the hard work of being a Christ follower. But I want you to look at these in relation to the hard work of being a Christ follower who is also a mom. It's hard work being consistent in living out sound doctrine on a daily basis as a mom. It's hard work being an example of godly living for your family. It's hard work that God expects to be zealous, to fulfill your roles and goals, be passionate, be fired up about it. It's hard work, number four, being prepared to do whatever being a mom takes or calls for with a submitted and surrendered heart. Lord, I'm not going to wrestle with you on this. I'm not going to fight this. I'm going to embrace this. Embrace it from God's perspective. Five, it's hard work being thankful. Okay, let's just put a period right there. It's hard work being thankful. Can I hear? Acknowledge, speak up. Yes, yes. Being thankful, knowing that God works in and through you as a mom by Christ in His Spirit. And this one's really important. In the NS, uh, number six, it says, Be intentional. The words translated in the New American Standard, careful. The idea is be focused, intentional in fulfilling your role as a mom in a way that is good and profitable for your family, your church, your community, your culture. And then seventh, it's hard work being teachable. Again, we could just put a period there. But it's, be, it's hard work being teachable to learn how to do motherhood in a way that meets urgent needs and bears fruit that remains for all of eternity. Listen, moms, read these verses and understand this is the hard work you want to focus on. There's other things that are hard that you may never conquer, but this is what God wants you to focus on. It's, but I want you to realize this, you know, in case you're just so depressed right now. It's not just hard work, it's a good work. It's a hard work, but it's a good work. Motherhood is a good work. You see, the problem, the problem when we just paint motherhood as hard, is that we create a construct of life that is unappealing. See, here's the dangers of surfing on the Internet and finding wisdom of the world on the Internet, and sad to say from many so-called Christian authors, is that they just take you down this path of, of what they call getting real, and by the time you're real, you're so defeated, and you're left with a, a life that's no different. You're, you're like, where's that abundant, victorious life? Nah, just be real. Well, I didn't get saved to be real. I, I got saved to be really changed. Amen. And so we don't want to just, uh, uh, when, when we strive, and then here's the other thing when we strive to make motherhood and parenthood and fatherhood as these coexistent equals to where there's no difference, guess what, moms? We're devaluing the unique role of a mother, just like we're devaluing the unique role of a dad because, hey, they both. Are unique and exalted by painting it as just hard, we are undermining the actual contribution moms make to society, and it 's an important one it 's one that shapes our world and future so let 's talk a little bit about how uh, motherhood is good. this idea of good it 's used um, nine times in this book alone, and it 's a favorite one of Paul. And it just doesn't mean good, like good because I like it, good because God says so, or good. Uh, it's a good, it's, it's a word that's so rich. There's two words, actually, that are used. There's, it's so rich, you can't even translate it by one word in English. I don't know, maybe Nigerian has one word for it, but English doesn't. And here's the idea. A good work is one that's useful for its intended purpose. Listen, motherhood is a good work, because God has an intended purpose for it. It's a good work. A good work. Something that's good is beautiful. It's to be valued and treasured. Amen. But see, our our culture trashes this idea. But God exalts it. A good work is one that's morally and righteous and excellent according to God's standards. So these are, this is just what we're talking about good. So here's what I did. Again, I went through and I traced the Six Uses of a Good Work in Titus. And I looked at where this word good is used and, and work is used. And here's what, uh, why motherhood or how motherhood becomes a good work. So let's look at it. Here's, what a mo- here's how motherhood becomes a good work. Motherhood is a good work when it's consistent with what God requires. So you're going to have to know. You've got to know His Word. That's why we're teaching on it. It's a good work is one that involves everything you are as a wife and mother. Now, I like this idea. A good work is everything you do. And we tend to think, well, I mother over here, and then I'm something else over here, and I'm a Christ follower over here, and it doesn't really impact my mothering. And mothering, being a good mom, means doing good works in all areas of your life. It's everything that you do as a wife and mother. Three, it's a good work. A good work is one that doesn't rebel against God's law, but is zealous to do what Jesus saved us to be and do. That's that's a good work. Four, a good work is one that's fully prepared to submit to all God-given authorities. Five, a good work is one that is done in the power of the Spirit, not in our flesh. More discouragement is going to come in your life when we try to pull this off. See, here's what happens. It's hard enough to do in the flesh. Then when you have God's standards and you try to do God's mothering standards in the flesh, it's really discouraging. Five, or six, a good work is one that's very intentional about doing what will profit others. 7 a good work is one that bears fruit by meeting present needs 8 a good work that explains uh, is one that explains how godly women make themselves beautiful if you go to if you uh, look up 1st Timothy 2:10 this idea of good work is the makeup ladies that that makes a beautiful woman all right this is what makes a beautiful woman and boy more now more than ever with social media and all the exposure our young ladies have to images and body image and all these different things we need and to model and to mentor that, hey, beauty in God's eyes is when we are diligent to meet needs and are a servant and a worker in those areas. Um, Number nine, a good work is one that devotes herself is A good work is one that a woman devotes herself to if she wants to leave a legacy of godliness. Again, 1 Timothy 5.10, Paul describes a godly woman, widows that are worthy of being taken care of in the church. And it's very interesting. He describes all these things, but she begins with good works and she ends with, she's devoted herself to good works. Listen, ladies, if you want to leave a godly legacy and I don't know a Christian mom that doesn't, then you want to devote yourself, devote yourself to doing good works. And motherhood is one of those good works. Now, let me say this. Well, um, you're not a bad woman or a bad person if you choose not to be a mom. Okay, that's not what's being taught. And you're not a better person if God makes you a mom. But what he is saying here is if you choose and God allows and, 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 and makes you a mom, it's a hard work, but it's a good work and it's worth doing well. And here's the third characteristic. Motherhood is a sober work, a sober or a sensible work, again, in Titus this is one of Paul's favorite words it's a word that's weird to us we immediately think oh means you don't you know you don't drink and that's kind of the idea behind it in other words you have self-control but it's not just about alcohol it's self-control in life and really what it what it what it talks about is a sober person according to Paul is one that sees life, from God's perspective. And as a consequence, exercises self-control that leads to stable living. Do you think we need a little bit of that in our culture? Do you think we could benefit from a little bit of that in our church, in our home? Living life from God's perspective so that you exercise self-control And you don't live for the immediate. You live for delayed gratification of the coming kingdom. And that creates a stable life. Why? Because you're not overreacting to all that's going on around you. So we could take you through the passages that teach that. And right here in Titus 2. And as I say this, let me say this very quickly. This word is a number one characteristic of older men, younger men, older women, younger women, and it's a requirement for elders and pastors. Why? Because everybody in the church is to live this way. So everything I'm saying here is pertinent to all of us. So let's, let's take a look at it for moms. Making sense of motherhood means that you need to become a woman of faith. Now, way before that was a conference or a book, that was biblical teaching. So you become a woman of faith, a woman of hope, and a woman of love. Everywhere you find this word you find these three characteristics, faith, hope, and love. Because you see, it's that perspective that enables you to exercise self-control and stable living. Let's talk a little bit. Woman of faith. A woman of faith is one that takes God at His word, acts on His promises, without worrying about what the world demands, what her flesh desires, what Satan's deceptions are, you focus on God and his word. It means moms to make sense of motherhood, you got to be in the word of God. A woman of hope, a woman of hope is one who has fixed her hope on the coming kingdom and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope's not in my career, hope's not in my husband, hope's not in my children making me look good in life my hope is in christ amen set you free because guess what they ain't none of those things i mentioned that you can control except your hope being in christ jesus right there and then finally love love be sober be self control because you're not at the mercy of your own selfish desires that change constantly and you're never satisfied. When you seek to please God and God gives you the ability to please him, then, you know, this is what love does. It looks outward. It looks towards meeting the needs of others. So that's the first one. Embrace your role from God's perspective. It's a hard work. It's good work. But it's a sober work. Number two, moms, here's what you got to do. Once you embrace that work, you got to know how to evaluate it. How am I doing? And so here's the second principle: moms, learn to evaluate your role in light of God's priorities. So, what is the work? You know, I mean, okay, I mean, basically, you might, by this time, you might be taken away. Okay, I'm just going to be doing good works all the time. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Help me out. Okay, well, in verses 4 and 5, Paul lists seven characteristics or seven priorities for moms. And I'm going to bundle those into three packages, three priorities, all right? And so here it is. One, love. Two, live. And three, labor. Okay? Labor. That's what it comes down to. These are my priorities. Live. Live or love, live, and labor. Let's look at them. Look at verse 4. The very first thing that Paul encourages Titus to do is to have older women train younger women, verse 4, so that they may encourage or as the NIV has train, or the ESV, train young women to love their husbands and to love their children you know what's interesting that word that is encouraged in some versions and train in others is this word it's rooted in this word sober train them to be sober and what do sober moms do self-controlled moms moms of faith hope and love they love their husbands and children wow now, again, you know, these words are interesting because these words, love their husbands is one word. Husband lovers and children lovers. It's like a description. It's like a label. What should I be? Oh, she, she's a husband lover. She's a children lover. The idea in Paul's day was if you had a mom that died and was buried, you would put on their gravestone husband lover child lover children lover that was how valued it was in that even in the pagan society so here's what i want to give you the best thing that a mother can do for her family at all times is first of all be devoted to your god Be devoted in your God. Don't miss. He's not, you know, even though he's saying husband lover and child lover, the whole context of this passage is what? Love God first and foremost. So I I just want to remind you of that. Because, you know, again, we got evangelical ministries called Focus on the Family. Well, guess what? That can lead to disaster. It's focus on the God who created the family is where we have to put our focus. Does that that help? It helps me. Now, the best thing a mother can do for her family at all times is to be devoted to your God. You can see that in verse 10, okay, of chapter 2. Number 2, the next best thing, the next best thing a mother can do for her children at all ages is be devoted to her husband. Again, we get this out of whack. We think, wow, if I, you know, focus on my kids, focus on my kids. No, your kids need you to focus on your husband and to love him and learn how to love him and model how to love him. And then third, the last best thing a mother can do for her children is to be devoted to them. And I would challenge you to think through your priorities on that. Evaluate your priorities. Where am I in my devotion to God? Where am I in my devotion to my husband, and where am I in my devotion to my kids? Now, you say, well, that's all nice, but how do I do it? Well, number one, both kids and husband, be there for them. Be there for them. Make time to meet their needs with good works. Make time to meet their needs with good works. And you know what that means, moms? That means you've got to be present where they are. Okay? And you're like, well, wait a minute. Are you saying I can't work outside the home? No, those are whole old paradigms that don't that aren't related to that. Because guess what? You can be a stay-at-home mom and not be present in the home when your kids are there. You're doing this, you're doing all sorts of things. In fact, you may be doing a lot of good works. You're, I'm working hard for you. Don't you see this? I mean, that's what we all say: moms, dads. You don't know how I say, well, guess what? In some ways, they don't care. They want you to be there for them and make time to meet their needs. With good works, you say, well, what? You're saying they tell me what to do? No, I already gave you what good works were, didn't I? See, God's already shown us. You know, we, It's not our kids. This isn't a child-centered home, but it's a home where you're present to meet them. Number two, you say, well, how do I do this? Well, number two, be there with them. Not only be there for them, but the key is, how do I know what their needs are? Be there with them. Make time to know their needs. Make time to know their needs. Far easier in the preteen years. And I'm here to say nearly impossible at my standpoint right now in the teen years. Because it is hectic, right? Right? And uh, the old thing that I used to do with Amber, go down, put her to bed, lay there beside her in bed and talk about things in the dark. Somehow she didn't want me to do that in my teen years. And maybe you've, you've pulled that off. And if you did, I'm, uh, you know, I'd love to still learn how you did that. But it's not that. It's different. And that, that's the hardest thing about parenting is you're constantly adjusting to this new phase. And what worked previously may not work in the new phase. And, of course, we had only one to concentrate on. I can't imagine the three, the four, the five, and each one is unique, right? But you've got to be there with them. Well, that's why I like these three verses. In chapter 3 of Titus, He regarding good works, he has this good advice. Be ready, be in te- intentional, be teachable. I'm telling you, the Word of God is so relevant. Biblical learning for radical living. God will tell you, be ready, be intentional, be teachable. Man, it's just good stuff. Just good stuff. Well, number two, third, uh, second priority is live a godly life. Live a godly life. First priority, love your husband, love your kids. Be there for them, be there with them. But notice what he says right after that. Verse 5, teach them to be sensible. And by the way, our word again, sensible. You know, that, that's it, it, it can be translated many ways, but sensible. This word's all over this passage. Be sensible and pure. You know what that means, ladies? It means develop what it takes to stay devoted to your family. And here's what it takes. Spiritual stability and moral purity. Man, this is a whole lesson right here. And you know what? We kind of drop the ball on this in the evangelical world. We get so tied into men and pornography that we forget that lust and moral impurity is a human problem, not a gender problem. Right? And so what he's saying is this, train them to be spiritually stable. What? Faith, hope, and love. Secondly, moral purity. And guess what? If you're not this, you're not going to see spiritual stability is what enables you to have moral purity. See, what we're doing is we're telling our young people, stay pure, stay pure, stay pure. And we're not training them how to be spiritually stable and sensible to make decisions in life. Listen ladies, this means saying no to TV and cable shows that glamorize sex that have contestants in them that are just hopping in hot tubs and hopping in in the sack to choose uh, something, you know, to I mean, we let's uh, I just can't even talk about it. It's crazy. It means ladies saying no to books and movies like like 50 shades of gray and 50 more shades of gray and 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 you're like Chris we're, we're Christians yeah I know don't do it it's nuts it's nuts all it is is softcore porn if you don't want your husband's looking at stuff like that you shouldn't be reading stuff like that but the bigger issue is God isn't like that amen he's just not like that. Listen, listen to what these passages say. Listen to these passages. 1 Timothy 2, 9-10. through 10. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. He's not against painting the barn, ladies, if it needs a coat of paint. What he's talking about in verse 10 is... Rather, by means of good works, as is proper for women that make godliness. The point is, emphasize the internal, not the external. Look for beauty on the inside. The kind of beauty that you can't buy in a bottle. That you can't get by a scalpel. Okay? It's the kind of beauty that doesn't come through dieting. It comes through being a woman of God. In 1 Peter 3, uh, Peter just cuts to it and says, Your adornment must not be merely external, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable qualities of gentle and quiet spirit. Oh, it just breaks my soul to see it's the Hollywood types that were so beautiful when I was younger and they were younger. And now that I'm older and they're older, you can see the ones who have lived out-of-control lives and who have measured the external because they try harder and harder to preserve something that cannot be preserved. And yet even ungodly, you know unbelievers can have and can age with a beauty that comes from self control, but godly women just glow in their old age. They just glow. Their countenance isn't all frowny and angry and harsh and bitter. Like, you know, that's basically... Well, anyway, that's just where we all go in our old age if we don't let God do a work now in our hearts. Amen? All right, I think I've got enough on that. Now, why? Why do we do this? Number one, you were born and raised to be a godly woman by the grace of God. You were born and raised by your Heavenly Father. You say, wait a minute, my background isn't such... No, but as a believer in Christ Jesus, you've got a new Heavenly Father, and the grace of God, which is Jesus Christ, is training you. That's what it says in verses 11 through 12. The grace of God is parenting you. Number two, your daughter needs this, so that she knows what a godly woman looks like, lives like, and loves like. Listen, You know, the age-old thing, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Number three, your son needs it to know what a godly woman. We want our kids to marry godly kids. Well, guess what? If you want a son to marry a godly woman, you need to show that son what one looks like, right? So there you go. Live a godly life, all right? And then number three, labor to transform your house into a home labor to transform your house into a home. Now, look at the rest of chapter 5, or verse 5. It says, Be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. Now, what a wonderful way to end here on something that is easily people go nuts on, okay? First of all, there's two extremes here. The chauvinistic extreme that says, aha, I knew women were to be barefoot and pregnant, and I knew they were to never work outside the home. This is exactly what this is saying. No, you can't use a 50s stereotype of a mom with the pearls while she vacuums. You know, that's not what this is talking about. That's an extreme. But there's another extreme, the feminist extreme, that says, This is just cultural tradition. We can ignore it in our postmodern world. We can throw out God's priorities in order to keep it real. That's not the way it goes. That's not the way it goes. So two things here, two things. Be a good worker in your home. Make your house a home. It's not the size of your house. It's the attitude and spirit in the home. Make, be a good worker in your own home. Be less concerned about, you know, working hard for others. Be a good worker in your own home. Number two, be a good follower of your own husband. Be a good follower of your own husband. Wow. Now, all of those could be separate lessons. What I All I want you to see is these are God's priorities. These are God's priorities. Love your husband and your children in that priority. Live a godly life, stability and purity. Labor hard to make your house a home and labor hard to willingly and joyfully follow your husband so that leading you is a joy to him and not a drain to him. Now, the third and fourth things are simply this. Moms, learn to experience your role for God's purpose. And God's purpose in verse 5 is simply this. The world needs to see a difference. So here's the idea. Show our post-Christian culture that God's message makes a difference in our lives and our homes. You see, here's what's happening in Christianity. We're being taught, be more like the world to reach the world. And Paul's saying, no, you've got to show the world a difference so that they are drawn to the gospel. Your lives adorn the gospel. All right. And then fourth, moms... Learn to engage your role with God's power. I know this is overwhelming, but here's four things I leave you with. Let God's word tell you what you are. Let God's word, and that's what I've tried. That was the number one goal, points one and two. Number two, let God's women train you in how to fulfill it. Seek out, ask, come to me, come to Pastor Ruth. We will help you find that mentor. Number three, let God's grace teach you why you should fulfill it. Listen, we need to to make a difference in this. And then number four, let God's Spirit transform you so that you are empowered to do it. I love the book of Titus. Short. Read it this week. Ladies, you have a great role to do. I hope this helps make sense. And I hope it refocuses. All right? So let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit and your son would release your blessings upon the moms that are right here in this room, but also in our church. And God, I pray that you would bring spiritual stability, moral purity, the right priorities. Lord, you will empower women by your word of God. It takes more than listening to one message. It takes being in this book. And so, Father, strengthen, encourage the mom that's ready to quit. Lord, comfort her and tell her one more day, one day at a time. the mom that is in that blissful time where everything seems to be going good, may she be thankful, thankful for all that you have allowed. Lord, may we be prepared, and may we as men, particularly husbands and, and dads, be supportive and make doing these things a joy for our wives and the moms of our children father thank you for this church and bless us with godly moms that know how to make sense of motherhood in jesus name amen all right every lady you got a gift my beautiful let's give my wife a hand because she's just a great mom and wife and she has a gift for you, so take a take a carnation and, and be happy in Jesus.